Hello and welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about neural network verification. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. This is a cool angle to take on neural networks, which are, I want to say hot topic. They've been a hot topic for a while. Um, I guess, Jeremy, I'll ask you, first of all, can we outline what a neural network is and then outline what we mean by verification? Yeah. This, this, is, this is really interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Neural networks have been super sexy topics, if you like, in the 80s and then again in the 90s and then they went out of fashion altogether and then they've come back in, in the 2000s to 2010s as a really super powerful computational framework for learning relationships between complex relationships between inputs and outputs and and that's you know surprising as it may seem that's that's really what what it is i mean they, yeah. they are they are functional learners they establish what a picture of a traffic light looks like uh, you know yeah. or or what a picture of a, a badger how you can identify a badger in a scene or something like that so that they are, yeah. they're just really good at pulling out these super complex tasks that typically humans have been very good at and are good at but but computers traditionally not yeah and what don't seem complex that's the amazing thing like um it seems easy to say there's a badger in this picture or there isn't yes. <laughs> but getting a computer to do it is amazing how hard it is yeah exactly and which is exactly why of course you get all those are you a robot challenges which are which ask you to do precisely those things yeah. um they ask you to pick out um you know uh, buses in pitch a sequence of pictures or something like that because that's something which is quite difficult to write a piece of software to do at least one that isn't using a and your yeah. network anyway. But yeah. yeah, I struggle with them because it'll say pick out the traffic lights and I don't know, am I supposed to go down the pole of the traffic light <laughs> or pick out the pedestrian crossing and I don't know if there's one corner of a piece of pedestrian crossing? <laughs> Does that get included? So yeah, I can see the, ch the challenge straight away. Yeah, and I read something They're before... not very good to have an argument with, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what did I read? It was something about how anything that we do to train a computer to try and replicate what humans do, it's really difficult because humans have three key aspects to them one is perception one is sensation and the other is cognition and perception is that idea of like seeing uh, out in the world um sensation is being able to interact with the world and then cognition is transferring all of that information into a classification right in your head mm. that i have now seen something or i have touched something and what is that something? An experience tells you what it is. Um, and and a part, a lot of that is the the context, the sensory context that you have around, you know, seeing, uh, you know, a snuffling creature in a dark scene um, in, 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 yeah. in the grass and seeing it's got stripes on its nose. Already you're set up for, oh, it's nighttime. I'm looking at a nocturnal creature. You know, which, which set yeah. of nocturnal creatures do I know that have stripes on their nose? Well, it's probably a badger. I've got all of this, this learnt experience and, uh, uh, around, uh, around me that allows me to just instantly hone in. But of course, a neural network doesn't have that. It doesn't have any of that. Um, it, it's got to be 
essentially shown it or taught it yeah. and, 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 and that's, that's what makes it a real, a really a challenging thing to do in, in any kind of generality. So we've got this framework for designing a algorithm to replicate what's happening in the brain and that's why we call it neural network, replicating neurons. So nodes along that relationship that's being built between input and output or decision or classification yeah exactly so so neural because we're trying to we're trying to emulate the function of the brain that's how they were originally construed that you would have a it's not perfectly accurate model i have to say uh, as any i suspect neuroscientist would tell you (laughs) but 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 it's it's pulling out the salient parts you've got the neurons which is sort of the computational units and you've got the massive connectivity of the axons which are connecting this sort of hyper uh, information highway or something you know connect, yeah. connecting these these huge numbers of neurons together in in a deep learning network with large numbers or in, a, in obviously in a in a neural pathway in the creature huge numbers as well but yeah. that's what we're trying to emulate here these the, the connectivity and then this 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 idea that by emulating really simple computation at these junction points of these neurons sticking all of this together you can learn really interesting functional relationships between your your inputs and outputs and the scale i guess is where you mentioned that they kind of um didn't get neural networks didn't get a lot of attention maybe in the 80s or something was it you said and then computational power takes off and people look at this again and say well now we've got computational capability to scale this so we can build lots of neurons, lots of these relationships and scale that up. So building out what what ends up being layers of these relationships and understanding how they interact. Yeah. And now we've got huge, huge frameworks that do amazing things in classification, in image recognition, and we have a chat later in the interview about vehicles yeah <laughs> you know like this is such a cool cool avenue but meticulously important to get right and that's where the verification bit comes in yeah oh i, I think the thing that that has really catapulted neural networks into into modern computational frameworks has been the introduction of huge amounts of computational power to do the learning which is really computationally expensive and then the execution of these uh, uh, neural networks, the sort of the neural simulation, if you like, and it allows them to do to really, really impressive things. And, and you know, today you find uh, deep learning neural networks embedded in GPUs um, that are running in autonomous vehicle software in a Tesla. You know, their f- full self-driving yeah. capability is making huge use of you know, deep, deep learning neural networks to uh, analyze all of the sensory information coming in from um, uh, from surrounding cameras um, and uh, uh, radars and all kinds of um, uh, you know other, other sensors in order to in order to understand where's the car is it is it driving safely should it change direction should I slow down should I speed up and 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 you know to, to have that sort of this idea that you could take something which um, is is not a normal computer program in many ways, 
um, and yeah. to use it in a in a in a context of controlling a uh, a, a, a two and a half ton vehicle <laughs> in real life and in yeah. real time is. I'll be honest. It's 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 quite sobering. Maybe some people would say a little yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah, and then put all of these vehicles out on the road together, and you've built a whole infrastructure, an actual highway of all of these um, vehicles with their own neural highways, making all of these decisions with regards to their interactions or view of each other in the world. It's just an amazing futuristic picture. Um, yeah, and, and I think maybe to go back to the start where you said, and what's verification in this? Mm. Um, because I think now is a very good point to to to, to give a motivation for, for verification. Yeah. Because typically, yeah. if you're writing a, a, a piece of control software to um, do something important but straightforward, like changing the phase or changing the... Uh, um, the colour on a set of traffic lights you used earlier as, as an example, mm-hmm. um, you'd write simple, simple code and you'd want to make sure that it, it, it showed the lights in the right sequence, it changed at the right time interval, yeah. it, it, you know, it did all of the things you expect and, and you would write tests around it and it would be, it would be um, you know, maybe some logical exercise that you could um, put the code through to mm-hmm. verify, and this is where we get to the verification side of things, that your software was actually truthfully executing the specification that those traffic lights should exhibit. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, that's where sort of traditionally verification at a software level and a, and, and a control software level in that case has really sort of come from. And the challenge they've had is how on earth do we apply that type of logical verification approach to something which is not a traditional uh, computer program? Is in fact a, a, a deep learning neural network. It's just I'm I'm like where do we where do we go from this? Because uh, like it's it's amazing because even even when you use the traffic light example, I'm like yeah you cannot get that wrong. You cannot have for whatever reason a small randomness in the change of the light sequence or whatever. But if you had a person in place doing this, we know that people are fallible, you know, mm-hmm. can can make mistakes. So a lot of the use cases for AI and building a neural network is in a system where you already must have some sort of a base rate of um, like mistakes that you would be trying to overcome by replacing a person with their own inherent mistakes. So I just find it amazing that we as people are designing a verification for a system to replace the people who make mistakes in the first place. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a minefield. It's amazing. So it's a, it, it just, it's so important to get right. Um, at, at, at many, many levels. because At many levels, yeah. <laughs> because, because of the, the, the consequences in, in, in these use cases where, you, you know, if you get it wrong, you know, people... I'll put it in danger. Uh, maybe many people, you know, mm. if it's an aircraft or something, heaven forbid. Mm. So, but also increasingly, even in much less dramatic situations than that, you, companies are absolutely terrified by the prospect of using these neural networks to 
learn relationships between people and outcomes. You know, for instance, you know, yeah. I've got I've got someone who's applying for an insurance policy. Do I give them that policy? Do I charge them a particular premium? And and yeah. inevitably, what happens is, um, or certainly historically, what's happened is because of the way these systems have been trained they have inherited some kind of bias in the way they've been trained. So right. immediately we have we have some really interesting flaws, not just in the sort of, mm. Christ, the plane might crash, but also it might be systemically discriminating against a particular group in society mm. in, in some uh, aspect of what it's being used to, to, to do. And, and, and that's you know, another issue that potentially a verification and a validation process in a neural network could look to tackle. Yeah, has to consider it at least. Okay, so I have a couple of questions to set up. Two terms, reliability and robustness, that come up a lot um, just generally in the software development world and scientists building a prototype, for example. Um, Wanted to unpack those. Yep. So... Reliability is quite a straightforward notion that you have a given input to your program, your your automated task or whatever, and it will reliably do the same thing again and again and again. For that that given input, if I've told you that there is a person crossing the road in front of the car and you're travelling at 20 miles an hour, and you're 100 yards away, it will reliably put on the brakes, stop the car, bring the car to a halt before reaching the person. Gotcha. That's, yeah, that's, rely- that's reliability in this concept. Yeah. 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 As a scientist, it's the reliability of an experiment that I can run an experiment right. with all the same parameters and it will give me the same result. So um, typically, something isn't reliable if you've, if you've got some notion of randomness either in your environment... Yeah. Or, or in the way that the program is written uh, and the software is written, um, which in some sense introduces unreliability or, or, or variability in, in, the, in the execution and then gives you different right. outputs. So most software is, is deterministic, which means it's reliable. It will give you the same output for the same input. Yeah. And so that brings us to robustness, Yeah. where if you change the inputs how robust is your code in this case. Exactly. So robustness speaks to, well, I know it's a badger. It's just it's a badger that's facing left and not right. Or yeah. it's, it's a badger that's um, trying, you know, halfway gone down a, a burrow. Um, or it's, it's a yeah. badger in the daylight rather than at night time. Um, am I still correctly identifying as a badger in the face of all of these subtle, sometimes mm-hmm. not very subtle, but, but sometimes very subtle um, variations in scene, in context? You know, if it's a badger rolling upside down, do you still recognise it as a badger? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's lots. At of, what there's... point is a badger not a badger? <laughs> and then <laughs> we can say that the robustness has met its boundary. <laughs> but importantly, robustness also speaks to a lot of the the bias issues. If you can define your your notion of unwanted bias in your network, you know, I want to make sure that I'm I'm treating you know people of different genders equitably. If I can mm-hmm. define that, you can you can essentially say, am I robust to gender? 
and I'm getting the same classification, the same recommendation of insurance policy premium or something, even in gotcha. e- even if I'm changing some of those protected characteristics that I, d- I want to make sure I haven't let leach into the training around my um, my network. So so you know, yeah. re- robustness can be about image processing, and it can be about bias in 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 learnt a learned process as well. Cool. And there was another term that I wanted to ask you about: fragility. How fragile is a computational algorithm or neural network in this case? Yes, similar to robustness, I think, but it's almost sort of more so. So you've got, if something's very fragile, it really sort of talks about how far from the expected input do I have to stray before it, before the software falls over or before it fails okay. to recognize it. You know, if, if it's a, if it's a very fragile, uh, network or recognition, uh, software, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe if I've got a picture of a human being and that human being turns into the shadow, you know, in some lighted scene, then, yeah. and then suddenly it says, oh, it's not a human being anymore. So, so, so then I've got this sort of notion of fragility of, of the software and the, the network that's un- underpinning that. So it's related to robustness. It's sort of almost the, the moment at which that you, you, yeah. you cross that line. Okay, very cool. Okay, so with all of this in mind, we'll go to interview. You had an interview with Professor Alessio Lumusio. Let's hear him talk about verification of neural networks. I'm joined in the Data Cafe today by Professor Alessio Lumusio, who's Professor of Safe Artificial Intelligence in the Department of Computing at Imperial College London and also Royal Academy of Engineering Chair in Emergent Technologies. So really super delighted to have you on the show, Alessio. Welcome. Welcome to the Data Cafe. It's great to be with you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us. So today, this is really exciting. We're we're going to be talking uh, neural networks and deep learning, which is uh, for a data science podcast, Slightly, slightly unusual that we haven't really tackled this subject previously, but really excited to do so today. So the, the area that you come from, Alessio, is one of validation and verification, I think I'm right in saying. So, so can you give us a sort of flavor for what the issues around sort of really reasoning and validating neural networks are? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we all know that machine learning is uh, increasingly being adopted in, in a wide range of applications. Um, but uh, more and more, we, we're becoming aware that uh, solutions based on ML suffer from issues such as uh, fragility and in some cases, error rates, which are just not completely acceptable in, in some application areas. So, uh, you know, in, in some applications, absolutely fine. We can tolerate some errors. But in others, and I'm thinking about safety critical systems such as autonomous vehicles, medical imaging, or just applications in finance where you cannot tolerate mm. a, a large number of errors. Um, having that sort of fragility and error rates is actually problematic. Um, so we see fragility in out of distribution data. And um, maybe an example of that is what we, we've been seeing recently in the US with crashes of autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Again, some vehicles that are a little bit out of distribution, for example, service vehicles. Uh, but also, we are very well aware of problems in uh, misclassifications for inputs that are very, very close to in-distribution data. 
And, uh, and so we know that there is a phenomenon called adversarial attacks in which mm. we may have the particular inputs that are actually very close uh, to a correctly classified input are being misclassified. And so where we come in here is to try and give an analysis uh, to the potential fragility and trying to analyze the performance in terms of the robustness of a neural network, for example, a classifier, uh, against these sort of potential problems that it may face. And it's one thing when it's you know reading an address label off of, of, off of a letter, but it's quite another thing when you're trying to react in real time to a piece of control input and trying to produce a decision which is maybe influencing the direction of a car or the the speed of an aircraft or something like that the 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 implications for a misclassification are wildly varying and, and dramatic depending on the context that you're applying this to uh, absolutely so <clears throat> you know if, if you're using uh, ml or neural networks to perform some tasks that you know broadly they should be they should perform adequately that is okay i mean for example i may be showing you a picture of an animal you want to detect whether it's a dog or a cat yes that's absolutely fine but if you're actually deciding whether you're going to apply, you know, brakes or steering wheel, or uh, you know whether you, you know, a piece of an image is detecting a potential cancer or not, that that's a completely different, that's a completely different story. So I think where we come in 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 our technologies, applications where you want, for whatever reason, you want to have good performance out of your neural network, and most importantly, you want to be able to understand and reassure yourself and perhaps others as well in the process that actually you've really tried to understand and improve the network the best you could. Yeah, and I think what's been very interesting looking at this from an industrial perspective is even when the scenario isn't one which has an obvious safety critical narrative, the companies are very keen in a, in, in a sort of managed IT environment when they're introducing and they're playing around with some of this exciting neural network ML technology, they're very keen to understand, you know, initially, does it work? <laughs> As in, is it 100% reliable? And you have to start to talk them down and go, no, it's unlikely to be 100% reliable. But what we can do is we can start to build confidence with tools. And initially, it can be quite a difficult discussion, I think, with some companies around having them put a piece of software, a tool in place, which is, is not going to be perfect. But I think this this sort of narrative you're talking about of, of actually giving them some confidence of reducing that that fragility that you talked about, I think would be really, really exciting. Uh, no, absolutely. I, I, I think in software engineering, there is, uh, for very good reasons, a, you know, a long history of trying to understand what a software does before we deploy it. Right. And and perhaps, you know, in, uh, you know, one of the problems we had in AI and uh, is that the same attention maybe sometimes has not been put before undergoing a deployment. And, you know, what we're also seeing is that when you're talking to companies, they want to be to be confident that the particular solutions they're deploying actually will work in practice. And again, what we're doing is, is a contribution to that aim. So I think really interested then in how your group are going about tackling this problem with formal reasoning techniques, because if neural networks have typically been a little bit sort of outside of that domain, is that my limited knowledge uh, historically and and so the fact that you're bringing that formal reasoning sort of mentality to to neural networks i think is really exciting can you give us some information on on how that works absolutely let's consider something very concrete let's suppose you have a neural network that's a classifier and take uh, the example where this this is a 
a, a, an image classifier. Mm. And so you want to be able to to ensure that you know your classifier is robust, typically, with respect to small changes. So what are these small changes that, that may happen? Well, maybe you have a sensor that's got a scratch on the camera, and it may introduce some noise. Or maybe there is a little bit of variation in the input intake. There could also be a kind of little geometric change in how that object is presented to your image. And ideally, what you'd like to be able to say is that your system will still detect the same object with the same accuracy that you had before. So small changes to the input will not result in a misclassification. Right. Typically, this is this is what we want to be able to ensure. And again, this could be you know, a, a, a difference in how you're acquiring the image. It could actually be a semantical difference in, uh, in how the image is presented to you. It could be a color change to some of the object and so on. It could, it could, be, it could be a variety of ways. Mm. And what you will able to, to try and reassure yourself is actually that your, your neural system will perform adequately and will not misclassify the object under these changes. Okay. So there's been a lot of work on this actually in the past in a slightly, from a slightly different angle. And that is the, the work under adversarial attacks. I think I think many of the listeners will be will be familiar with adversarial attacks. In adversarial attacks in research, you find uh, typically through gradient descent, you look for counterexamples uh, by uh, by trying to generate a counterexample in the proximity of an image. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, this is good if you find one. Uh, you'll be able to show that there is a counterexample, and you can actually use these counterexamples also for training to improve to improve the robustness of the model. However, the difficulty with this is that you can only show that the counterexample exists. You will not be able to show that no counterexamples exist. So you will not right. be able to actually to say that actually, yes, my model is robust. And you will not be able to take this robustness certificate as a proof to your colleagues, to your engineers, and maybe to a regulator that is actually uh, showing that actually your system as deployed is actually safe. And, and so what our technology does is actually it enables you to put these queries regarding a neural network for particular samples and being able to answer whether whether or not the model is robust. And you may put, mm. you potentially get two answers to that. And it will be, yes, that your model is robust for these particular inputs. And here's a certificate of robustness that, uh, that, you know, that actually should, this is a mathematical proof that actually the model is robust. Or may actually say, no, it's actually not robust. And here's a bunch of counterexamples that I would invite you to look at. And these counterexamples will, will be the proofs of non-robustness, so, so to speak. And each of these cases is actually useful, we believe, for the engineer uh, to improve, uh, to reason about the system that they have in their hands. So you might be in a situation then where, say, a, a sort of national air traffic services or a regulatory body defines for you the, the input space of of noise almost where you say you know for this set of imagery or for this set of sensor readings with this allowance for perturbation around those um, standard sensor readings i still want to see the same classification being produced i want it, want it to be saying yes that is another aircraft that you have spotted at five miles distance and i want you to be classifying it like that 
for the sake of argument. And and it's about really that sort of definition is it around around those input sets, those output classifiers, and and being able to then formulate your problem around those sets. Absolutely, I I think I think Jeremy, you're absolutely right. These 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 requirements may come from regulators one day. Mm. Right now, they are formulated by the engineers because they yes. have a pretty good idea about the about the sensitivity of the sensor when it's working correctly when it's not working correctly and the operating circumstances of the device but i think one day they may well come from the regulators and you're absolutely right it will be part of the requirement to give a range of functioning behaviors that the classifier needs to operate correctly in it could be the noise that may be coming from the sensor. It could be the lightning condition. It could be the orientation of a particular mm -hmm. object that you're there to detect. But within this range, I think the question will be, is your system performing adequately? And if so, can you give us some concrete measure that that is indeed the case? Or are you are you going to fly blind in this space and, and finding errors at runtime instead? That's really good. I, n I know that a lot of the technology companies using deep learning neural networks specifically are really terrified by the notion of embedded learnt bias within within their networks. And I'm wondering now whether this provides a route to identifying and talking about in a really reasoned way about, about bias around certain categories of people, for instance, in image analysis, sort of, sort of tonal colours of skin, of course. Is, is that is that is that a possibility? Is this where this is going? Do you think in in, in one of its application areas? So, as potential uh, byproduct of this verification technology, I think there is the possibility of um, providing certificates, so to speak, that particular uh, misclassification may not happen because of particular attributes. Right. And so, if you look at the areas of explainable AI and semi-factual or counterfactual, some of the work that we're doing at Imperial precisely addresses this point. And one of the points we want to address is indeed the robustness of counterfactuals or semi-factuals uh, in this space. Mm. And this is work that um, uh, Francesco Leofante is leading uh, at Imperial in our lab. And uh, we believe we're going to have a paper coming out soon on this paper, on this point. Oh, brilliant! And uh, and we believe that verification indeed can be useful to precisely determine the robustness of explanations, uh, because sometimes you know, quite frankly, in 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 explanations, you find that explanations themselves are not robust, and they may actually be a feature of the classifier itself rather than an explanation uh, for the for the particular for the particular case you saw. That's fantastic. I think that will be it's such an enabler, actually, for for companies that are, are an organisation that are really worried and, and are not taking on board the technologies and the potential of that technologies for those those reasons. So I wanted to understand. I understand you've got a, a, a tool around uh, that your group has developed around around the area, and you've entered into competitions, and, and that's always extremely exciting. We, around around neural networks, typically, we there, at some point the discussion turns to what the size of the network is, what the depth of the network is, and how many units it has, all of that sort of thing. So, so what, what what sort of scale are we talking about? And, and is is there a is there a sort of competitive element to uh, how large you how large a network you can analyze with this technique? So so we we know that you know some of the models out there are really really huge. If you look at some some of the image detectors using autonomous vehicles, they are they are terrifyingly large. So there is there is a push of uh, trying to conquer larger and larger models, 
And so when we started three, four years ago, the, the biggest model we could we could have was a few tens or a few hundreds of notes. Um, and that feels right. like a long time ago. What we can verify now <laughs> is um, is models of hundreds of thousands of notes. So that's in the region of millions of tunable parameters. Oh, wow. and in some experiments, we can verify the robustness of models with, with millions of nodes, so that is like 6 million tunable parameters and so on. And you will get actually a proof of robustness for, for each of these. So in the lab, we developed two tools that use slightly different methods. Uh, one tool is uh, called Venus. This is a tool led by Panayotis Kovaros, who's, uh, who's a researcher with us, and it's a tool that's coming out uh, of a project that's funded by DARPA directly to Imperial to us. Okay. And and so that is a tool that's based on mixed integer linear programming. So we reformulate robustness and reachability to MILP and solve the resulting MILP problems. And and so what we worked on on the on the number of years is is to make that problem more and more succinct and easier to solve for the MILP solver and and speed up the search and and various other optimizations that we've done. That is, that is one tool that we have. Another tool is called Verinet, and that is an effort led by a PhD student in the group called Patrick Henriksen. And, and this tool is primarily based on symbolic interval propagation, which is a form of abstraction that enables us to reason very, very fast about, about, about robustness. So we have two tools right now, but there are elements in common between the different tools, both in terms of the specifications that they they can realize and also in terms of the underlying technology. So Venus now also use symbolic interval propagation and 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 Verinet also use linear programming in some of the right. some okay. of the stages. So we we we're trying to to get you know the best possible performance. Yeah so and you're right, you know there's been uh, there's been a lot of interest in in, in the area and now we have a competition uh, which is an international competition with uh, several several participants, and uh, that is called VNN Comp. Uh, for those of you who, who are interested, and uh, the latest mm. competition was was held in July, and uh, yeah, so we we were happy with the performance we had. So it runs over standard standard benchmark sort of uh, problems, is it, or, or specially developed benchmark problems for the competition? Is that right? So it is a, it's a mixture of both. Uh, some of them are standardized and others are suggested by the two participants. So there is a good mix, actually, of the various kinds of networks that you have. You have a lot of ReLU models, but, uh, but also sigmoids increasingly. You have different architectures. You have fully connected. You have CNNs. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a bunch of other stuff that all the tools need to, to try and verify. Right. And... And then really exciting, I, I understand you've got a, a possible company coming out being spun out of this that you're looking to uh, launch your, your tool through. So that, that sounds that sounds terrific. That, that is interesting uh, because what we found was that there was a lot of interest from the industry where we are uh, working with use cases and so on. We worked yeah. with Boeing as part of the DAPA project on evaluating some of their uh, ideas on, on taxing and so on. And, and some of these technology that, that we talked about is, is patented by Imperial. And so we're now looking at uh, forming a company uh, to commercialize this technology and working with other partners to, uh, to, to see what their needs are. Mm. But you obviously got tons of interest then from companies around the, these products and the, the application areas and the things that it enables. 
Yeah, no, we uh, we do, and uh, but I think we still have a lot to learn uh, to see how we can actually be useful uh, to them as well. So we are we are we are interested in any discussion, in fact, uh, with, with any potential partner. Brilliant. Put contact details in the uh, in the show notes, and uh, I'm sure encourage people to uh, to get in touch if they're uh, if they're interested. Alessio, thank you so much for joining us. That's been really, really fascinating and I think really uh, a really marvellous in- introduction to what it means to get validation and verification into, into neural networks. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Jeremy. Really cool stuff from Alessio there and so much to unpack I guess I, I have so many questions and um, really really in-depth work that they're doing so they've touched on a lot of you know uh, topics that have a whole academic realm behind them um, I am a physicist and um, astrophysicist by background and one of the things that uh, anecdotally like I wanted to pull out was um, you mentioned when you have a system like an optics system mm. and you get a scratch on it and that's a change of some sort in your input. And this calls up everything we were talking about with reliability and robustness. Mm-hmm. And how fragile is your setup to these kind of changes in the input? And you can have a beautiful scene, like well captured, well insulated. But in my field of study in astrophysics, that optical setup was like, a camera similar to what we have in our phones, you might have a CCD in it, goes in something the size of a shoebox onto a rocket up wow. into space, <laughs> gets shook all around, has to be bolted in place, yeah. um, and it opens itself, it shudders up to the sun, in this case I'm studying, and has all of the noise of the light and cosmic rays and everything coming in and hitting it, and you have to determine like how well has your system like retained its perfect lab specifications going through all of that upheaval right up into space <laughs> and then how well does it like suffer the effects of space yep. and what's its level of deterioration and over time what's the effect what pre-processing do you do on board like just this world of complexity before I've even got a measurement to study the physics of what I'm looking at so I'm amazed at like where this all goes with regards to designing a verification for what can change in the world that, that enters your parameter space. Yeah. I, I think I, I mean you just identified. I mean it's a really hostile environment, sending sensitive um, tools and measurement devices into into space. You you talked about that and really clearly. And I think you know in all of those hostile elements serve as a, a noisy platform and a noise creation yeah. mechanism for, for your sensor tools and your measurement devices. And, and so you've got to cut through all of that. You've got to say, well, if I'm spending, you know, 10 billion US dollars or something, sending a brand new satellite into yeah. some kind of observatory orbit, I need to know I'm I'm going to get a very robust reading and processing of that data and it's going to be able to cut through all of that noise. And I think what Alessio's his team have managed to do is have this fantastic process where you can specify in advance, you know, what the the level of noise you want to be tolerant to, the level of 
yeah. interference and change around the norm that you're happy with. You want it to be, you know, absolutely robust to that it will still say that is a particular star or that is a particular yeah. observation or wavelength of light that you're trying to capture. Um, and it won't be uh, pushed off into another, into another categorization that would be a miscategorization, I guess, in that case. And that they can simulate this. They can perform these simulations to test that fragility, depending yeah. on the, that circumstance. Um, because they mentioned loads of different cases, like with vehicles that we talked about, but like in the health realm for medical applications, like simulating everybody will be different in some way, right? Every person has some subtle differences. We're all unique, right? So like that is a realm. And then finance, like the financial world changes so much and has, you know, all of the external effects, macroeconomic effects that you can't predict necessarily. Yeah, no, all of those great examples of of exactly where you get this requirement for, for for robustness, and you need you need it to be consistent and able to cope with all of that inherent environmental uncertainty. Um, I particularly like the medical imaging case. I think you know if 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 you're you know you're talking to your experts, your doctors, your medical practitioners, you're saying what is the the typical sphere of variation around uh, you know how a tumor might appear in a uh, yeah. in an x-ray or something like that and you know that allows you to start to define the the parameters for it's still got to produce a correct diagnosis in 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 all of these cases where we're getting a, a reasonable perturbation that uh, that an uh, trained professional you know, medical practitioner would themselves be able to recognise. I mean, obviously, yeah, if, if yeah. you know, professional practitioner wasn't able to, you know, they were looking at it and going, "Well, it looks clear to me." We're not able to perform magic here. It's still, it's still, it's still yeah. got to be based in in physical possibility of identifying the the, the object. But you know, it, it, as long as as long as there is something to, to to spot and and we can define what that that variation around the norm or the mean if you like would be then then we can we can put that into this verification framework and we can ensure that for that tolerance we would still be able to classify it correctly as a tumor and even off the back of the medical example we've come across the term explainable ai and this feels like a big part of that that you want to be able to explain what's otherwise um, non-transparent, right? You you have all these hidden layers of relationships being mined in your network process. Um, yeah. What do you think, I guess, more generally about explainable AI and its applications? So neural networks have a bit of a rap about being black box solutions to quite complex problems. They're not standard pieces of software necessarily. They're a if not new, certainly viewed as quite a novel computational framework. So because they're black box, because people, because you can't look at the parameters and the weights of a neural network and go, ah, oh, yeah, I can tell what tell you what this network's doing. You you need to have some confidence that you know, given an output, 
you want to know, well, where did that output come from? Yeah. What were the inputs? What were the, and then, you know, so it sort of flips the problem on its head, if you like. What were the allowed inputs that would have given me this classification of a tumor or a, you know, a cell decision in a financial market or a turn left on an autonomous car or something like that? So you want to know what you're, by almost you know, reversing the process, what where did that come from? What are, what, is, what, are the, what are the feature inputs, if you were talking to a data scientist about it, which would have triggered or likely have triggered or contributed to that output being, uh, being produced? So you know, that's, it's, 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 it's absolutely part of that story. And together with this validation verification process, you get something which is just as important, I think, and I would argue, which is trustworthy AI, which is something where you can take a previously unexplicable tool and a, and a black box tool and you can say actually we can put a certain amount of validated amount of trust in this in this tool we didn't previously rate at all there is a cool perspective on that from alessio's interview about being able to certify that to a certain degree and this isn't something that i've really come across before it would be a game changer yeah you know? absolutely i think for a lot of a lot of certifying bodies, whether it's sort of organisations who are, uh, you know, the example we have was, you know, uh, the UK National Air Traffic Services, you know, organisations that look after the airspace in in, in, yeah. in the UK, uh, Federal Aviation Authority in the US, and and all around the world, you know, there, there are lots of uh, lots of regulatory authorities which would need to have a story in this area as increasingly these toolkits are going to be deployed in in important uh, safety critical control situations whether real time or not and and they need a way of being able to assess and measure and classify whether these tools are correctly uh, functional and are going to perform in in the right instance going to produce the right decisions in, in, in a reliable way it's great that there you have these models that are like being built now to fuel this, that people can start to consider this verification process. The models touched upon integer linear programming, for example. Hmm. Now, again, as a physicist, I'm going to ask you, the computer scientist, do you, do you want to give us a little bit of an overview, I guess, of what is ILP? And I know that that's like been around for years, but where does this... Mod, these models come in as the cutting edge for bringing these computational techniques to these amazing applications that we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, so this is the real meat and the, the cleverness of the, the approach, I think, from my perspective. They've really novelly taken these verification problems, these ideas of what's robust, what's you know, reliable and reachable, and translated them into what we what we was referred to as an uh, mm -hmm. integer linear program or a mixed integer linear program, and use that as the computational framework to give them this ability to study huge neural networks, deep, really properly deep learned neural networks um, uh, in in reasonable time. Because there's no no point you know throwing a yes. computation like this and saying, does it yeah. work? Is it going to is it going to detect the tumor? Is it going to make sure the plane doesn't you know crash? Is it going to is it going to save the pedestrian yeah. on the road? But it takes 
you know, 3.7 millennia to finish the computation. Though, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the bit that I really wanted to pull out, what you said there, the achievable time. Yes, precisely. And, and th- so this is translating the the structure of this particular uh, deep learned neural network with the the specification, the validation problem wrapped up in it into a, uh, a, a linear program. So you asked me, what, 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 what's a linear program? We'll probably start with linear program and then unpack it from there a little. Linear program is a uh, mathematical uh, formulation of an optimization problem. So uh, typically... Which we uh, talked about a few times. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's our old friend, the optimization problem. So we're trying to find the the, the maximum or the optimum set of values uh, in order to in order to maximize, you know, typically some uh, schedule or some uh, some distance travelled or some monetary um, uh, quantity in a, in a production environment. So yeah. it seems a little a little bit distant from where we are at the moment. But the smart thing is they they translate these variables from not you know how many um, you know, how many bags of cement and how many how many tons of bricks are we using, but but actually what's the what's the value of the of the almost the electrical value of the input going into that neuron and and what's the the value of the output coming out of the neuron and these all become your variables in your in your linear program and okay. you, you get to then construct this optimization problem which in 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 solution of that optimization problem gives you this you know huge scale validation solutions to these neural networks it's awesome um, it just goes to show what we were saying earlier about the benefit of the computational capability now. I guess the last thing to kind of raise is how do we get benefit from this currently? It just sounds like what Alessio and the teams are working on is so cutting edge. What do you think we're going to see and be able to use over the next little while or, or medium term? Well, I mean, it was it was a new feel for me when I talked to Alessio, and I thought it was fantastic. You know, excitingly, his team are producing not one but two tools: Venus, Verinet, uh, were the two that they mentioned. And we'll put some links in the show notes, I think, to to to, to them. So if you're you know if you're a, if you're a data scientist, you know, ha, ha, go and go and have a place. You know, that there, there are some really decent published papers out there as well, which sort of summarise this more mathematically than we have here, but. There's tons to get your teeth into. I think, for me, the, the two big things here are, can we make the system trustworthy in the, in the face of these, you know, quite sizable and previously, you know, black box um, solutions so that we can deploy them in industrial settings or in, you know, IT, you know, managed IT frameworks. And, and, and then, you know, importantly, we've alluded to it already. Can we, make some claim that we have not introduced accidentally a bias into our neural network um, that discriminates against you know, um, people with particular characteristics that we really don't want to discriminate against. But you know, because of the way that the training data has been collected or curated, in, you know, inevitably, in many situations, uh, we find that, that, that people have been discriminated against. And so we can use this kind of toolkit to, to check and to eliminate that kind of bias. Great, really amazing stuff. And it's so cool from an academic perspective that these models are available to us to access and go and play with. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Jason. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. You can like and review this on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Or if you'd like to get in touch, 
you can email us, jason at datacafe.uk or jeremy at datacafe.uk or on Twitter at datacafepodcast. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes.